I've known a few folks who, especially when they're digging through their closet, find a box full of stamps that they used to save. Does anybody save stamps anymore? Well, I do have a friend who has saved all kinds of coins most of his life, and I think saving coins kind of keeps him going, too. Currently, and simply because we've changed our eating routines and we're drinking different things these days, Wendy and I are saving pop tops, also known as pull tabs. Why are we saving pop tops? Well, I can tell you that we're saving these things to contribute them eventually to a good cause. Saving those little guys can contribute to something far greater than a bag full of aluminum for good reasons. They are well worth saving. The tabs that we're saving at home right now, actually, we're storing them in bags. And then later, we're going to contribute them to the Ronald McDonald House Mission Project. That's one of the projects that we've got going at church right now. Now, on a more serious note, a fairly recent news article came out about doctors in Arizona being able to, uh, being they were, they were given special authority by Governor Ducey to decide, I suppose, when after a doctor looks very carefully at the criteria and all of the conditions of the patient, they can decide, they have authority of the governor to decide who's worth saving and who is not worth saving, especially when it comes to their medical conditions specific to COVID-19 and its deadly effects and available resources and things like that. Now, I don't mean to say here that I've become some expert, distant observer and medical care critic, because I'm not. And I certainly have no intent to offer some political bent toward this policy either. In fact, I honestly have no idea what trying to follow this program and its criteria looks like in the daily trenches, where healthcare heroes are the boots on the ground having to make the heart-wrenching, impossible decisions. I simply want to point out that whether it's saving lives or saving stamps or saving pull tabs or saving things in the back of the garage, most of us, most of us listening today are faced with the questions about what is worth saving and what is not worth saving. I'm sharing with you today two scriptures in the life of Jesus. The first is a sort of uh, coming of age event in his life, which immediately follows his temptation in the wilderness as outlined in the Gospel of Luke. Today's second reading happens a bit later in his ministry, when Jesus and his disciples are seemingly trapped in the middle of a fierce storm on the lake. And Jesus, the Son of God, wakes from a well-deserved nap, comes to their aid, and performs a saving work and calms their fears. Because, I think, he knew for him to accomplish the mission he had laid out that his father had laid out for him to accomplish on earth. He knew the disciples in the boat, that motley crew that day, were well worth saving. Let's take a look. Again, the first reading is from the Gospel of Luke. The beginning of the Galilean ministry. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee. And a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. 
he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. Jesus calms the storm. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! He replied, Oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. So ends the reading. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be truly acceptable to you, our rock, our strength, our Savior, and our Creator. Amen. Well, as we continue to gear up this week for the summer sermon series, Lessons from the Temple, we're taking a concentrated look in great detail. We're taking an Uh, an up-close and personal look at Jesus as he shares his God-given mission with the world. And in so doing, we hope this week to broaden our understanding of at least three things. Broaden our understanding of at least three things. And here's number one. Number one is an understanding of who Jesus is and why he came among us. You'll note that's pretty clearly outlined in that first reading that we shared today. Secondly, we'll also see that our lesson today sets the tone. It presents, it lays out before us a portrait of the life of Jesus. And certainly in part, the often often misunderstood ministry of Jesus of Nazareth is presented to us today. Thirdly, by looking at today's scripture in Luke 4 as well as the scripture in Matthew 8, we'll begin to see exactly how tangible, touchable, and in the trenches Jesus was throughout his earthly ministry. His words, his lessons, his healings, the many lives that were changed, his painful death, his amazing resurrection. And ultimately, we're going to get another example, uh, another glimpse of how and why you and I are called. And you and I are empowered and sent today to carry out God's plan and purpose for the world. So with that said, we've got a lot to do today, so we better get going. Well, according to the Gospel of Luke, and citing the example of the great prophet Isaiah as uh, kind of an archetype, a model, or standard for who he was to be in his ministry and what he was called to do, Jesus 
said he came to bring good news to the poor. Jesus said he came to bring release to those who were held captive, to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to give legs again to those who were lame, to lift up the downtrodden, and to fill with new life those who were dead. Indeed, it was to be a special time of jubilee, not just for those who originally experienced his ultimate healing, not just those who experienced the wholeness they received from Jesus, but also for you and for me and the world around us today. And that really is why we're looking at lessons from the temple. And in a more practical sense, I think, this mission that started with Isaiah and continued on with Jesus that was laid out before us was not going to be easy. In fact, some said that it was a tall order. Now let's pause for a moment. Let's talk for just a bit about why we're looking at the teachings of Jesus this summer and also why we're taking some time to note his rescue of his closest friends as we just saw in that short reading from the Gospel of Matthew. The men he had handpicked from the countryside in Galilee to carry out his mission of turning the world upside down. Well, traditionally, this time of year, you might remember this, this, these summer months are often referred to as ordinary time. It's actually a 20-week, 26, a 26-week long series of lessons on becoming faithful disciples of Jesus. This tradition has been around a long, long time. And I think the religious gurus who came up with this design or this sort of... Uh, 26-week-long program, I think they knew that we all would need ongoing reminders. We all would need pointers and webinars, you might say, and ongoing instruction about what's needed to genuinely follow Jesus. I know I need all the help I can get. Secondly, although I've done similar sermons over the years, this time around I wanted to spend a few minutes looking at why we bother to spend our precious time going over Jesus' life lessons and teachings about heavenly truths one more time, even if, it might, even if it might seem like the same messages that we've heard again and again in previous years. Thirdly, and straight to the point of today's message, God created the world and all that is in it so humanity could thrive could live, love, and grow, only to someday return to God in holy splendor. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'm not debating about any creation myths today, anyway. What I'm saying here is that Jesus knew full well, in order for God's life-giving, life-saving work to be accomplished, all for all things to reach their fulfillment, the motley fearful crew of disciples who were shaking that day as the stormy waters crashed over the edge of the boat. That motley crew of disciples were well worth saving. Let me say it again in case you missed it. The men who would lay the foundations for today's faith communities were well worth saving. 
Jesus needed them to pick up the torch, to carry it to the ends of the earth, and to light up the lives of all who would seek wholeness, love, justice, grace, and truth in the name of Jesus, the risen one. According to Charles Spurgeon, 19th century Baptist preacher and Bible scholar, Jesus said this, quote, Go to some very imperfect disciples. And then he continues on. Who is to go out of that first band of disciples? Is it Peter, the rash and the headstrong? Is it John, who sometimes wishes to call fire from heaven to destroy men? Maybe it's Philip, with whom the Savior has been so long, and yet he has still does not know him. Or is it Thomas, who must put his finger into the print of the nails, or he will not believe? Yet the Master says to each of them, Go! Go ye, all power is given unto me, therefore go ye. You are as good for my purpose as anyone, as anybody else would be. There's no power in you, I know, but then all power is in me, therefore go. So how do you and I bring this all home today? How do we make this worthwhile for the week that lies ahead of us? How does this episode of Jesus' calming the fears of his disciples, how does it become tangible and touchable? How did Jesus' mission of release to the captives and his rescue of his most valuable players that night, how does that prompt or encourage me to seek something different, something holy, something godlike, something far beyond myself? After all, it was Spurgeon, who said again about genuine discipleship, quote, God in his providence and in his grace, as far as we have been made willing to learn of him, is educating us for something higher than this world, end quote. Hmm. Hmm. Something far beyond myself, yet tangible and touchable. Seems kind of like a contradiction doesn't it? Not really. Not really, because depending on where you live, depending on how you spend your time and the people that you surround yourself with, you will be able to find a great deal of loss, of illness, of injustice, of pain, of depression, of sadness, possibly even hopelessness. You probably don't have to look very far before you can locate someone yearning to be lifted up out of the ashes, someone held captive, hoping to be free. And the reason it may be a challenge and a call hard to respond to is simply because we're often too focused on our own personal struggles and losses to be willing or even able to look past ourselves, wherein, wherein if we could look past ourselves, we'd find the often difficult call of fulfilling Jesus' mission we spoke of earlier today. Accordingly, might there be a chance that you know someone who is so blinded by a self-centered world that they live in and so much so that they can't see what's happening in the lives around them at this very moment? Because if you and I accept Jesus' claim upon our lives, then you and I are the ones being called by God 
right where we live to complete the mission mission Jesus and his disciples began long ago. Think about it. Wouldn't the world be vastly different if we genuinely saw others as just like stamps and pull tabs, well worth saving? We might even feel differently about ourselves and the hopes and the dreams that we struggled with if we believed that we too are well worth saving. And if we truly believe that we each are well worth saving, we'd be looking forward to looking again at the life lessons of Jesus. And we would indeed treasure the opportunity to become more and more like Jesus in every way. Well, commenting on the power of God's love in the world around us, Luke Timothy Johnson, who's more of a contemporary commentator on the Gospels, he shares this with us today, and I quote, For if there is an actual and present rule of God in the world, then it must be found, not in the conquest of visible enemies, but in the triumph of love and life, however halting and partial over sin and death. And this is the work of the Spirit. And this is the calling of the church. And this is the calling today for you and for me. Finally, I close today with something very different. It's a beautiful poem from Macrina Weiderker. And this is from her book, Seasons of the Heart, wherein during the first moments of Macrina's newborn life, someone believed in her as virtually a stillborn baby. She writes this from her own experience and from her own memories. Listen to this. It's beautiful. There was a day in July, many mornings ago, 7.15 a.m. to be exact. When my hope was so small, I didn't know I was alive. The doctor placed me aside and announced the sad news of my death right in the middle of my birth. But God was good, and God gave someone enough hope to believe in me. She leaned forward, believing in darkness what some folks refused to believe in the light. She believed in me. And she held me as though the stirring of the eternal had just begun, as though the mystery within was just being born. And the joy of it, she was right. Because of her hope in me, I live. And ever since that day in July, the mystery within me has grown. He, eternal within me, keeps stirring anew like a fountain of living water, like a spirit that runs dry. Could it be true that some folks die because our hope is too small to bring them forth? It is good to remember we do not give birth to ourselves. We give birth to others by believing in that first spark of life the spark we can barely see. That spark is called 
hope. Hope is immensely helpful at birth. So this week I'm inviting you to accept Jesus' claim upon your life. This week I'm inviting you to sit at this at his feet and hang on his every word. I'm inviting you to learn all over again important heavenly truths. I'm also inviting you to accept the fact that you, yes, you and me, were both called by God right where we live to complete the mission Jesus and his disciples began long, long ago. Think about it this week. Wouldn't the world be vastly different if we genuinely saw others as well worth saving? Amen.